0: Well, a recent Michigan State University survey found 7 in 10 consumers are deceived into buying counterfeit products online. We're going to talk about that and encourage you to shop more safely online with Carrie Camel. She's the center director for Michigan State University's Center for Anti-Counterfeiting and Product Protection in the College of Social Science. And she's an adjunct College of Law professor, too. And Salim Ahabash, is Associate Director of Research at what we call ACAP and a Professor of Advertising and Public Relations in the College of Communication Arts and Sciences. Great to have you both here to share your expertise today.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: Give us a little bit more, Carrie. Why don't you start a little bit of your background? Why are you interested in this topic?
2: Sure. So um, I came to Michigan State University about 11 years ago and found out a couple years into my My journey at MSU that there was this center that was studying something called anti-counterfeiting. I have a legal background, so I had studied intellectual property law and criminal law and all those things and had never heard of anti-counterfeiting. So I did a little bit of research. Um, I applied for a job that they had opened there and discovered there's this whole world of people out there and organizations out there that essentially are faking legitimate products and then selling them for profit. So you take something as simple as a pair of shoes or a laptop or a bicycle helmet that has the logo of the company on it, and a, another what we call a bad actor will take it and copy it to make it look you know, as similar as possible and slap that other company's logo on it and then sell it, often for a cheaper price but not always, in order to make a profit. Um, and then one of the challenges we see with that is that – Someone may say, well, it's just cheaper, I'm going to get a deal on it, or it looks the same, but they don't go through some of the the safety standards and testing that we see um, from legitimate companies.
0: Yeah, uh, Salim, a little bit of your background, why does this topic interest you?
1: Well, it is interesting because I think Carrie is the reason why I got interested in the topic because a few years ago, so the ACAP Center holds an annual brand protection strategy summit. And over the years, a lot of the efforts to contain this phenomena have been centered on the actions of the brand holders and the brand owners in collaboration with law enforcement and other entities. And as the world of e-commerce has mushroomed into our daily lives, there has been increasing understanding that this phenomena is really hard to contain. and There has to be engagement of the consumer. So a number of years ago, in 2016, I believe, Kerry reached out and said, why don't you come to the Brand Protection, um, uh, Brand Strategy Summit? And I did, and it's kind of the, the moment you open your eyes, I, I liken it to seeing the arrow in the, in the FedEx logo. Once you see it, you can't unsee it, right? But you're oblivious to it beforehand. And that, w- that was kind of my in- entryway into being interested in this particular topic. And primarily, so I'm a, a, a social scientist, I do media psychology in my um, work as a professor in the Department of Advertising and Public Relations, and a lot of understanding the impact of digital media and advertising deals with understanding consumers and the impacts of their own media consumption on their own behaviors, on their own well-being, on their own health. And I think my biggest draw and worry about the the phenomena of counterfeiting as it stands in today's world, is the huge impact that it has on the well-being of consumers. Across the different industries, across the different product categories, there's hardly any product category that is now on the market that the counterfeiters have not managed to infiltrate and provide products that are cheaper but also produced less ethically um, and by default have less Um, good standards, meaning that they can have a detrimental impact on the health and well-being of consumers.
0: And Carrie, you had said the other day, if you shop online, you're susceptible. So, But before we go on, a little bit more about ACAP and the mission there.
2: Sure. So ACAP has been around now for about 15 years. Um, We started when a couple members um, of industry who were working in the space of anti-counterfeiting, who also happened to be Michigan State University alum, approached the university and said, we've been dealing with this problem of trademark counterfeiting now for, for years, but we haven't seen anyone on the academic side actually study this and research it. So, you know, would you be interested? So we started as a very small research project. And there was a lot of success, so we grew into a program um, and then eventually to what we are now as the center. So as the center today, we focus on working with what we call brand owners who are major, in most cases, multinational corporations, but also sometimes small businesses that have their own products, which they put their own trademarks on and then go to sell them. But then we also work with a whole host of other organizations in the space, such as e-commerce and social media platforms, some law firms, Some um, technology or service providers. So those are companies that actually monitor the internet and monitor online sales to try to look for counterfeit products. But then we also work with government, which is really interesting, too, because when I first joined this field, I was surprised to find out that a lot of government agencies worldwide were involved in this. So even from the local Michigan Attorney General's office all the way up in the U.S., to Homeland Security and the FBI. I mean, this goes up pretty high because this is seen as a national security threat. And then you look in other countries, and they have very similar structures around this. So you have a lot of people from the private sector, but also on the government and law enforcement side working on this. So in addition to engaging with those out in in the private sector that are dealing with this, as Salim mentioned, we're starting to work more on the consumer side, which is more of the public-facing side. But we also have a pretty um, pretty robust research program and a pretty robust education program. So, um, one thing that we started about 6 or 7 years ago was to engage MSU students in this. And there's no there's no one disciplinary background that leads into this field. So, as Salim mentioned, you know, he is a professor in public relations and advertising. I'm a lawyer. We have people that work in this field that have a marketing background or security background, engineering background, IT background. I mean, it's sort of just encompasses all of these different both disciplinary and professional backgrounds. But we started bringing students in from different majors throughout campus to give them this experience and and to have, you know, what Salim and I had, which is this eye-opening experience of what's going on. And we've seen a lot of them launch their careers into this field. So we've become pretty well known now um in the field of brand protection for producing graduates from the ACAP Center and from Michigan State that are going on um to to be really impactful in this field. Um, we also do a lot of education of the private sector too. So even though this field is pretty pretty big and as Salim said, you know, spans multiple industries, multiple countries, there is no education out there on it. Um, So we designed a a certificate program meant for the private sector to sort of get them up to speed on this pretty quickly. That's been really successful. It's now expanding into multiple countries and regions. But we hope to continue, you know, on the along the lines of the MSU land grant mission, which is to give back, you know, to this community that we're now a part of, both in the education sense, but also in the outreach and and sharing of our research. So, you know, some of these best practices can get out there because this is such a, a pervasive issue now.
0: Salim, that was a great summary of the center's mission. Did you want to add anything?
1: Well, I I think the center is quite unique because it does look at this phenomena from multiple disciplines, but um, working across a variety of stakeholders, which is often not the case. So the center is really a model for interdisciplinary work, and the promise is that we have a center that is focused on a problem that impacts a lot of people, and therefore... We're trying to bring in everyone who could possibly be able to help fix this huge problem. Some days we think that we have we're getting close, but other days we think we're miles and miles away.
0: <laughs> well, it is Michigan State University's Center for Anti-Counterfeiting and Product Protection, a great website at A-Cap, and that's C A P P. So A-C A P P dot M S U dot Edu and You've both been sort of seeing it already, but again, frame this issue and and sort of how pervasive is it?
2: So when I started at ACAP um, back almost nine years ago now, we saw a little bit of counterfeiting in e-commerce, but what we saw mostly was brick and mortar. Um, And when I say by that actual physical stores, people selling counterfeit out of the back of their trunk, Um, if you went to New York City, you saw a bunch of luxury fake goods being sold, you know, literally on the street and, and Canal Street, you might see these things at a flea market. Um, we did a couple of early studies on that showed, you know, for example, in um, sub-Saharan Africa, counterfeit malarial drugs were being put out and a lot of people were dying from that. But you didn't really hear about those kind of issues here in the U.S. It was very isolated, um, very much, um, you know, if you if you bought something from a legitimate store, you didn't really have a high risk of that. Every now and then, you know, a counterfeit good would get into what we call a legitimate supply chain. So that's where the company Basically sources their product and sells it into a store, just a regular store that we might shop in. Um, we rapidly saw the growth of e commerce sort of change everything and then I think the the big catalyst was covid um, when covid you know started everyone you know was was stuck at home with these stay at home orders many 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 people, including myself, went online to start buying everything and what happened was you know, when when you are in a physical store, you can actually look and pick up and touch and feel the product that you're buying. When you're purchasing online, you can't do that anymore. You're looking at an image, you know, on a screen, whether it's your phone or your laptop, and you look at it and you think, oh, that looks like the product I want, and you purchase it. So what you can't really tell as a consumer, and we'll talk a little bit about this, about, you know, how to, how to you know, see some of these red flags for a fake product but you don't know if that's the actual picture of the item, if it's a picture they took from another website and put it up. You know, you we really don't know that as a consumer. And I think that was the beginning of this really snowballing and really just sort of, you know, becoming a problem everywhere for anyone who's purchasing goods online. Um, we also saw, too, when there were shortages in the supply chain. I mean the counterfeiters monitor this so they would start producing whatever there was a shortage of and it, maybe you couldn't find something in a store and then all of a sudden there would be a proliferation of what appeared to be that product online but it was the counterfeiters filling filling that demand in the marketplace so we we saw everything change during this period and there were some predictions that it would go back to the way it was before, but we haven't seen that. This this continues to grow in the online space, grow into places that we would have never predicted maybe 10 years ago, such as social media, which Salim can speak more about, uh, and just products being sold in such interesting ways um, that we would have never expected before.
0: Right, Salim. How does the powerful social media play into
1: this? Right. So this is one of the unintended effects of social media and the internet in general. So... In 2006, when we started recognizing the proliferation and, and pervasiveness of e-commerce and availability of endless bandwidth on social media is when theories like the long-tail theory um, emerged, which you know liken it to, let's say we're interested in um, um, music CDs, right? If we were to go to Walmart, there is finite shelf space in the store, in the brick-and-mortar store, so there's much more stringency on what goes on the shelf. There's verification, validation, and what the internet has created is an endless shelf space, an ability for anyone, and this is great for small businesses, entrepreneurs, to enable them to reach their niche audiences. But there is the the mess. It lies in the long tail of the distribution uh, in, on internet. Now, this is where the problem online on social media and e-commerce platform emerges in terms of just the the exponential growth and availability of counterfeit products. Um, And the counterfeiters, unfortunately, are two to three steps, if not more, ahead of the brand owners in terms of they have access to knowing what is where the demand lies. So they know the products that are in demand. They can see that through the marketplace. And they leverage their own production and they infiltrate the supply chain through the ability of anyone now to go and promote a product in social media. So, I'll give you an example. This is an anecdotal example. A few years ago, when we were looking, starting to look at this um, phenomena of people buying prescription medications online, and we went to um, a social media website, which is Instagram. And we looked at um, public conversations, so publicly available comments and conversations about depression or anxiety. And what we found there, anecdotally speaking, was that illegal sellers are infiltrating these public comments, these open comments. And they are posting, hey, I have access to this medication, to Oxycontin, to Adderall, um, to Valium at a cheap price and uh, contact me on this other platform and I can provide it to you. And so the availability of this information for vulnerable people who are discussing something so personal, so deeply impactful in their own life and when we see a lot of the socioeconomic um, divides that are in this country and in other countries that could make this very appealing and could actually enhance the demand side, so there is a greater picture, uh, socioeconomic picture of how widespread this phenomenon is. So, for example, when we look at, we've just conducted this survey right. of seventeen different countries, and we asked people one of two questions. Two two of the questions we asked them is: In the past twelve months, have you went online to buy a product that you knew was counterfeit, and have you bought a product online that you later found out that was counterfeit? You were deceived into buying it, and. More than half of the global sample said that they had bought a product online knowingly. They knew that it was counterfeit. And about two-thirds, as you mentioned, almost 7 in 10 people have been deceived into buying it. And also we tend to think that this problem um, exists outside the United States. Data from the U.S. is right around the average Fifty-five percent of the U.S. Sample, sample said that they went online knowingly buying counterfeit products, and about sixty-six percent have bought products that they thought were authentic, and they found out that um, they were deceived into buying these counterfeits. Now, as we situate this with the, you know, the process of shopping online is very different, as Carrie mentioned, from shopping at the brick-and-mortar store. There is no physical senses that are available. But what is also missing from shopping online is this time where you can actually think and Mm -hmm. deliberate and evaluate the product attributes and qualities. But in the online space, that time is shrunk to a few seconds. So I myself will say that I'm a big TikTok uh, user. So I'm I'm only a lurker. I don't post any videos. But I constantly see these videos from um, influencers and through display advertising, and they know everything about me. They know that I have two kids, so they advertise toys to me. And I get sucked in. And within, if you know, you're in this environment where you're repeatedly getting the same message about the same product, and you're seeing other people using it, and you're like, well, you know, I want to be in on it. I don't want to miss out. So... And within a few seconds, I'm able to go to the website, the TikTok shop or Amazon, and within a few seconds, it's already being shipped to me. So I did not even have to change from my PJs to actually make (laughs) that whole transaction, right? I'm still in my Crocs. And (laughs) that whole idea of cutting that period of us thinking, even if we don't buy right away, even if we don't convert right away, but just that ease of pushing a button, and it makes the process this link from our brain that is impacted by the visuals and the need to fit in to the actual behavior of clicking on a button and button, and it's already being shipped to you. How cool is that? But how scary is that as well?
0: Right, because it seems like, you know, it's one thing to get a fake shirt or something, but when it's medicine or something, that's very different. Story, Carrie, and I don't know if you mind telling the story about your own mother having a problem with this.
2: Yeah, sure. And and I will say this, um, because this was my perception when I when I first joined um, this interesting world of of combating (laughs) counterfeiting, was that the medicines were really scary, food was really scary. I mean, because there's counterfeit food out there, if you can imagine, you know, things that you put in or on your body, you know, that is probably the scariest. But then as I started to talk to more and more brand owners, you know, especially, for example, the American Apparel and Footwear Association. So they are a lot of the footwear companies, a lot of the apparel companies. I mean, they they just conducted a recent study, too, on like they, they did testing on the counterfeit apparel. In some of it, for example, you know, you have a T-shirt or a pair of jeans that has lead paint on it. So even that can, can harm someone, but you don't think about that when you're purchasing. You're like, oh, it's just a cheaper T-shirt. I mean, but it can happen to anybody, right? So I've I've been in the field, as I said, for almost nine years now. Um, and even my own mother has, has purchased counterfeit goods even accidentally, right? So she, she would buy a vitamin from the local Costco, and I think they ran out. So she went to look online. And, you know, she said, well, it's great. It comes within like a day or two. Um, so she'd been using it for a while. She hadn't been feeling good, but, you know, you don't chalk it up to you know, a vitamin that you've been taking for years, just a different brand. And then she got a notification from the e-commerce platform that it was counterfeit. And she had been ingesting it for a couple months. So, of course, she threw it away and, you know, went to her doctor and, and got some testing done. Um, and it's great that the platform realized it and, you know, told her. But again, it's it's so easy to happen. And I think in a lot of cases, the platforms don't discover it. Um, because in most cases, we're talking about something, and, and this goes into to some of the, the tips for, for how to be safe online. Um, she was buying a product from what's called a third-party seller. So a third-party seller is essentially any random person or company out there that's selling a product that they did not manufacture. So if I go and I buy, let's say, a bunch of product from Costco, and I decide to sell it myself, I would be a third-party seller. Um, I'm not the manufacturer, and I'm not the actual distributor of it, but it's a third-party <clears throat> seller. So many third-party sellers are legitimate. I mean, they're there to make money, and that's what they do, and that's great. But this is how a lot of counterfeiters have infiltrated e-commerce and even social media. Um, they come in, they get pictures of the product, they somehow get something that looks like the product, and then they start selling it, and especially you know, on some of these websites – there are something called ASIN numbers, which is the number for a particular product regardless of who is selling it. So if they can get in under a certain product line, and the consumer isn't really paying attention because I, I looked, you know, through my mom's history and the seller kept changing, but it was the same ASIN number for her product. So she just, you know, ordered it, which is what most people would probably do without going back and looking to see, did the seller change? Where is the seller from? you know what are they doing but the problem now is you know she found out this product was counterfeit she had the name of the seller they were coming out of a warehouse in california i found their website the website you know first first glaringly obvious thing to me is their phone number was 123456789 <laughs> um they had four four pictures of like their executive staff with with clicks you know you could click to their linkedin and twitter you go there and it says no no profile found for every single one of them, um, and they don't exist. They're not there. So this is this is the common problem. A lot of people will say, oh well, look, they're coming from the U.S. or they're coming from another country, but to actually find them once you realize something is counterfeit is what's near impossible yeah. these days.
0: And Salim, I can see you getting duped, but what's the psychology of knowingly buying counterfeit product?
1: Well, I think that it. it It goes in in different aspects and it it varies by product category. So when we look at luxury goods, for example, um, there is this, you know, a a lot of buying the counterfeits knowingly comes from this deep loyalty and appreciation for the brand, but maybe not being able to afford the price of a luxury good. But even, even like richer people, we've been hearing that they are even though they might buy the $30,000 bag, but they will also buy a knockoff for use in every day, right? So it it varies. Um, It also, um, in the online world, this issue has rendered, it's so complex in the consumer mind that they feel fatalistic about the ability to protect themselves. Other instances is due to the lack of availability of the, pr- the of the genuine products um, online. So I'll give you an example. You know, my daughter has uh, curly hair, and um, we've been on a mission since her birth to find ways to manage her curly hair. So one of the newest inventions on the world of social media is this brush that is supposed to work wonderfully with curly hair. And on social media, so this is an entrepreneurial project, a, pr- a, a product that. Um, just started in the market and their production was not able to satisfy the demand. So what that has left the market with is all of these other copycats and counterfeiters who are producing the same looking product and it becomes a battle on social media of, oh, this is counterfeit, this is not counterfeit. And at the end of the day, when you are so heavily influenced by the coolness of this product, you want to get it And you can't find it. It's out of stock on the website. You're going to resort. You're going to be the savvy consumer who's going to look all over the Internet to try and get that product. And unfortunately, you're going to succumb to just buying a product that is lower quality and maybe cheaper. So, you know, and it's it's. But think about that in terms of people knowingly going there. How scary that is, but also how scary that is that a lot of people have bought products that they don't even know are counterfeit. Yeah. There are people who have um, have airbags in their cars that are counterfeit, that have been tested to detonate at least a few seconds earlier or a few seconds later, which could really impact whether someone's life is being saved, right?
0: Yeah. And Carrie, you mentioned something too off the air about you. We might think clothing is harmless, but I think there was lead in a onesie and a baby They couldn't. I mean, almost anything counterfeit could is probably bad.
2: Yeah, and we, you know, we try to explain to people because they think I don't know. There's this perception that counterfeit goods are just being manufactured in another facility or a facility that looks just like the authentic. But what we know from our partners who have literally done raids on these counterfeit factories. I mean, in most cases, they're filthy. Like they're they're dirty. There are no, you know, work standards, labor standards. You know, they've seen they've seen cases of of you know when we talk about labor exploitation, people chained up to desks, kid kids working in factories for long hours. Um, I mean, I've even talked to some partners that we have in in South Africa and some other places, and they're talking about human trafficking. You know, that's involved in this where they bring people in literally to help you know, make these counterfeit goods and then they're sold out. So not only are they, you know, potentially dangerous and not clean and not made by any type of safety standards because they don't have to, you know, the people making them are also in really, really poor conditions because there are no regulations around it. I mean, these are often done in a clandestine way, Um, not in all cases, but in a lot of cases. So, you know, we tell consumers, if you have a choice, think through the whole flow of where your money is going. You know, I'll use the example of Michigan State University. So we work very closely um, with the Department of Licensing here. So MSU licensing is responsible for any of MSU trademarks that, you know, we're all we're all wearing today that everyone here in the MSU community wears. And it's important to know that when we buy a genuine licensed product, that money goes back to support student scholarships. Well, people may think, oh, we're coming up on the holiday season. I'm going to buy a bunch of Sparty gear, you know, for my family, but I can find it cheaper online. In those cases, when you're buying from someone who is not a licensed seller and a potential counterfeiter, think about where your money is going to go. Yes, you may get a cheap product. It may be dangerous. You don't know that unless you were to go get it tested, which is very expensive to do. But your money may be going, you know, to to one of these places that is not treating, you know, treating their their labor in an appropriate way. In some cases, some of our, our ACAP studies on the, the criminal side show that some of this money goes back to organized crime. Um, it goes back to other types of criminal activity that's going on. So I would encourage anyone listening, like think about where you wanna put your hard-earned money. I mean, you wanna put it towards something you know, that you believe in, that you're connected to in some way, or throwing it out in the ether that who knows where it's going to go. And usually, in the case of counterfeiting, it's something something nefarious.
0: Now, there, I think there's some legislation trying to, what is the INFORM Act? What is the SHOP-SAFE Act? What are they designed to do? Do you think they'll have any impact?
1: I'm going to let the lawyer explain okay. that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thanks. Uh, great question. So it's interesting to explain, you know, to people that most of our laws were not set up to deal with the Internet. They were set up to deal when everything was was in person. Um, So what's happened is, you know, for the most part, the law says if you're a flea market owner and you have someone who's running a little shop or a stall and they're selling counterfeit product, it's your duty to shut that down because that's criminal activity. I mean, just like other types of criminal activity, you can't allow that. And if you don't, you can be sued in court. So when we move to the online space, we haven't seen that equivalent happen with the law. A lot of the cases that have gone through have said, well, it's different in the online space. It's much harder for an e-commerce platform to monitor their own platform that they've built um, to look to see if there's counterfeit goods going on. So there was a big case back in 2010 involving Tiffany, the jewelry company who sued eBay, the e-commerce site, which most of us know. um, And the court in that case said, Tiffany has to report to eBay and any e-commerce platform very specific instances of counterfeit postings before they have a duty to take it down. And Tiffany said, well, but we know they're proliferating on their site. Shouldn't they have a duty to look for them? And the court said no. So fast forward until now, 12, 13 years later... And Congress and everyone is saying this cannot be anymore. We have to put on the e-commerce platform some proactive measures to protect the brands, but to protect consumers. So inform consumers was the first step in that. That was a law that was passed federally, but also a bunch of states passed it too, Michigan being one of them. So we have a state version of that and a a federal version of that. And that requires e-commerce platforms at a bare minimum to get the contact information of every seller on their site Um, that is selling over a certain amount of of goods. If a seller is selling one product, they don't have to do it. But if they're moving massive amounts of product, they have to get their their name, their address, their tax ID, their business license, a a phone number, email address, and they have to have some proof of identification. So that was the first step. ShopSafe is the second step. So this is another piece of federal legislation um, that makes it puts more duties on the e-commerce and social media platforms to say, not only do you have to verify who's selling, but now you have to vet the products that they're selling. You have to do some research to see if the seller has ever been you know, suspended anywhere, or taken down anywhere. You have to proactively monitor your own website that you've created, your own platform that you've created to make sure this isn't occurring. And if someone who owns the marks you know, notices that you're not taking enough steps to do this, they can now sue you, um, essentially for what's called secondary liability for trademark counterfeiting, meaning they're not the ones doing the counterfeiting, but they're allowing the counterfeiting to happen. What's interesting, though, under inform is that consumers now can report. So they can report to the... the um, The FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, but they can also report to their state attorney general's office. And the state attorney general's office can now take action against a platform that they think is not protecting consumers. So for those out there listening personally, if you find that you've, you know, you've purchased a counterfeit good... Um, one is, of course, try to report it to the place that you bought it from or report to the brand owner themselves, so the actual brand. But now you can report to the attorney general's office as well and say, this is my experience, this is evidence of my transaction, this is the product I ended
1: up yeah.
0: with. Some tips now, some advice, how consumers be aware of it and avoid it.
1: Yeah. I think the 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 main thing is to ensure that you are not buying impulsively a little bit of research into the the validity and um, safety would not only save your own life, but the life of others. Um, When it comes to things that are related, for example, to medicine, so that is another area that has direct effect on consumers. And we're we're seeing an increase, and especially after the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of people started going to online pharmacies. And the World Health Organization says that 95% of the online pharmacies have illegal substandard and falsified medications. The chances for buying a medication online through anywhere that it's counterfeit is about 50 percent. So it's a coin toss. So there are resources that you can check the validity of these uh, sources. So for example, safe.pharmacy, you can plug in the website and it tells you if it's Uh, An online pharmacy that has good stuff or bad stuff right good meds or bad meds The other thing is to also be vigilant and be critical and skeptical of the information that you um, look at oftentimes when we shop online we try to shop for a number of things and it, It takes only a few more clicks. This is you know what we do with things related to fake news and misinformation everything that applies to that also applies in this sphere it takes only a few steps to verify it to Google the seller to look at their profile if there's something fishy there don't do it The second thing is it makes so much sense that all these big brands hire the best people to communicate about their products they're unlikely to make spelling and <laughs> mistakes and grammatical mistakes in the product description so if you seem see something odd you know, put on your sixth-grade grammar hat on, and be very critical if you see a spelling mistake or an error. That is a red flag that should tell you to move away, to take a few minutes to research more. And lastly, I need—I think—try um, to, you know, that's my own personal thing. Right. Is uh, in 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 this world of these competing interests, and in this society that is geared toward capitalism. It is so important to also invest in small businesses. Go to the local store, buy local. It is so important. It supports the community. It supports tax revenues for our communities. And there's much lesser chances that these products are going to be counterfeit. Here, here. I'm glad you said that. (laughs) Salim and Kerry, what would you add?
2: So I would add is know where you're buying from. I mean, I could tell people only buy from a brick and mortar store, but that's not reality. I mean, even for me, I I shop online all the time, but I would say know where you're buying from. So for example, if we are a big Lego household, um, we work also with with Lego in this field because Lego is counterfeited like every other product. Um, But if I'm going to buy Lego, I should probably go to the Lego website, or to another authorized distributor that I know sells LEGO. So for example, I know Target sells LEGO. Target also does not allow third-party sellers on their website. So what they are selling on their website is the same product that they're selling in the store. So I know to go there. If I go on another website, you know, I can look to see who is actually selling the product. So LEGO, for example, may be selling on Amazon. And if LEGO is selling on Amazon, I want to buy directly from LEGO. I don't want to buy from cheap Legos, who's the seller also on Amazon, maybe with the same identification number. So always look to see who the seller is, where they're based. If they if they have a U.S. address, that isn't a guarantee, as I saw from my mother's case, right? But look to see who's actually selling it. When I looked at some of the names of the sellers of vitamins that my mom purchased, I mean, some of them were not even selling, they were like cheap office supplies was the name of one of them. So look and you'll see some of these discrepancies. So someone who's selling office supplies probably isn't going to be selling toys. They're probably not going to be selling legitimate vitamins. So it's a little bit of an investigation, right, to look through and see like what's really going on here. If you're also seeing a product for example sold by Lego I'm I'm thinking of some of the big sets that are like 79.99 and all of a sudden you see them sold somewhere for like $24 another red flag if it's too good to be true it's probably too good to be true um one of the other things that you know you can see on some of them and again this changes frequently in addition to the misspellings that that Salim mentioned is look at the photo um, so sometimes they literally copy the photo from the brand site. But sometimes if you scroll through and there's like multiple color choices, you can see that it looks like someone just, you know, with a pretty bad, you know, Adobe Adobe cut job just pasted it on and it doesn't look right in the image. Again, as Salim said, I mean, these are top, for the brands, these are top level marketers. They're not going to make simple mistakes like this. Mm-hmm. So if you see anything that looks off to you, it is probably off. Like go go with your gut reaction. Pause. Go look it up on the actual company website. See if they even offer that color, if they offer mm. that product line. Because sometimes they'll say, people will say, oh, I can get this in seafoam green. I haven't seen that anywhere. Well, it's because the company doesn't make it in seafoam green. So another another big sign, right? right? But to think about that. And even, I mean, we all like to get a good deal. I'm, right. I'm in that category, right? If we can save a dollar here or there or $20 here or there, oftentimes in these e-commerce um, sites, it sorts by price. Lowest to highest, so you always see one of the cheaper products first. So try to be a little bit more savvy and look to see who the who the genuine seller is, and not necessarily sort by price yeah, too.
1: And I think that's really important because oftentimes one of the biggest red flags is the the, the very sharp drop in the price. Yeah. But with the availability of all that data on these uh, electronic marketplaces is what, the way that we use them as consumers is price comparisons. They are also using them. They are employing bots to write these reviews and give them the five-star reviews. So it's not always the price is... So so just be vigilant. Stop and think. Take a deep breath. Go make a cup of coffee and then come back and say, is this a good choice to buy it knowing that there is a slight risk? Yeah. And where am I using this product? You know, if, if it's something that... You know, I, I mean, anything from batteries can be so impactful. They can cause fire. Uh, there, there's hardly any, any justification to say, you know, it, it's okay. It, nothing bad is going to happen. And we just have to think of that the impact on one person is the same as the impact on 100 and 1,000 and all these people when we can avoid it. There is a consumer responsibility what I also want to emphasize is oftentimes when we talk about this, one of the ways that we get people's attention by saying all these scary things, because they are scary. But what I hope that the listeners take from today's is it is so easy to be vigilant. The same critical thinking that we apply in everything we do online when we see a fake picture or you know, a fake voice or whatever, let's apply it to things that we are spending our hard-earned dollars and... Um, and really impacting the lives of others around us and our lives as well. So let's just apply that same you know, investigator mindset, right? And (laughs) I know
0: we've been talking mostly about counterfeit, but in general, are there just some other shopping safely online tips you'd like to share?
2: I mean, for me personally, and maybe Salim and I differ on this, I don't buy things from social media. So I want to buy things that I need and not that someone is sort of influencing me to purchase um or if i see something maybe that's interesting i don't click the link to go there i'll go and look it up on my own to see what comes up um because sometimes i mean i haven't even received emails for things that i'm like oh that's interesting and i click on it and i'm like wait a second like this doesn't look like a correct website right because it's a phishing scam i mean and we we see connected to counterfeiting all kinds of other cyber criminality, right? So in a lot of cases, some of the brands we work with have said, you know, they are going after the counterfeits of their product and they find that their consumers are part of phishing scams. They're also getting their identity stolen. They're also getting their credit card information stolen. So it's not just that you might end up with a counterfeit product, but you might also get your credit card or your identity stolen in the process because the people doing this, again, are bad actors. They're not out there to sell, just sell a competitor product, they're out there to make as much money as they can. And they will do that in any way that they can. It could be stealing your credit card information. It might be selling you a cheap product, but they can also steal your identity and open up some bank accounts or some credit cards. So, I mean, when we say be vigilant online, it's it's sort of that whole thing around online shopping is just be careful with it. And to use an analogy, like most people wouldn't, walk up to someone they didn't know on the street, maybe standing outside of a mall and say, oh, here's my credit card information and where I live. Can you purchase this for me? They would go into the mall to a store that they know, that they trust, that sells their brand and purchase it there. So same online. You don't want to put give out your information to someone who you can't verify is actually selling the product that you're looking for.
1: Right. And the same applies, you know, when we talk about spelling, if you, if you if you go to the alleged brand website and there's only one page that is the only landing page that is moving you to the checkout, then that is a red flag. It has to be a full-fledged. I mean, brands work so hard on creating comprehensive pages that promote their brand identity. So if you don't see that, that is a red flag. One easy thing when shopping online or when visiting any website is the S in HTTP at the very Address of the uh, the URL. If there is HTTPS, then this means that it is a safe and secure website. Um, other indicators: if they, you know, if, if if they don't have contact information, there is hardly any brand that does not have presence on social media. So go to their social media pages, on Instagram, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, and get information. Is this? Does this look like a legit person? Um, so it, it, it does deal with everything that we do in protecting ourselves from criminals that we have to visualize it online. And it's hard online because we don't see the person. We feel that we are anonymous and other people are anonymous to, to us. So we really have to use these little cues to stop and think, to exert more uh, stringent principles of, you know, despite the fact that this is really cool, I'm going to wait and see and uh also not favoring the the cheapest option i mean we're all you know i do want to to save money as well but there is value in paying a little bit more and choosing peace of mind and the health and safety of your own family loved ones and yourself yeah
0: well Carrie and salim you're fabulous i thank you for sharing this important information just some key takeaways as we close
2: um, so just be aware of of what you're buying and what the impact of that is Again I go back to the MSU example what a great way to support the students at Michigan State University to buy authentic licensed product But then the flip side of that is if you're buying you know counterfeit MSU apparel you know the not only are you taking away from students but you're you're sending your money somewhere you don't want. The other thing is to be cautious and be aware. And I know everyone seems more and more strapped for time these days. But the, the other important thing for me too, is if you do buy something and you realize it's counterfeit, please try to report it. Because it, a lot of people say, I just don't have time. I just threw it away. Um, at least people that I've talked to anecdotally, right? I knew it was a bad product. I threw it away. I just bought another one. But if you can report it, that helps take down you know, the listing so that other people aren't also going through that experience and buying it too, so it's being a little bit more engaged in your in your shopping community and being you know if you are brand loyal and there's a lot of brands that you like depending on the product like that helps them too um, because this is a threat to their business and and it actually increases costs of the legitimate product when people are buying the counterfeit product too because they have to spend resources policing that so just think about your purchases you don't have to live your life totally scared of everything hopefully this wasn't too scary for people today but it's just about awareness yeah
1: Yeah. salim
0: final thoughts
1: well i think that you know as we head into the holiday shopping season i i want everyone to have fun and uh deal with it in a way that is what is meant to show care and love for others and this is part of that love and care that we exercise to others um, stopping and thinking, we've talked a lot about it, uh, but also may- maybe thinking about what is it that you are giving if the product ends up being counterfeit. Yeah. That's the trick, right? Um, not to scare anyone from shopping, but maybe buy fewer items, not necessarily 10, 15 things. doesn't have, you know, maybe one. focus on one item that you trust, rather, because you are giving that as part of your interpersonal connection to others. Um, so Be safe. Enjoy the holiday time. Try to also invest in building relationships with these people and enjoying the holidays for what they are and not just for what is under the tree, that there's more to these holidays than just the material things. You're
0: here. Carrie and Salim, thank you so much. Thanks. All right, thank you. That's Kerry Camel and Salim al They're both with Michigan State University's Center for Anti-Counterfeiting and Product Protection. Kerry's also an adjunct professor in the MSU College of Law. And Salim is a professor of advertising and public relations. And again, the website, a c a p p, so a-cap, cappmsuedu And I'm Russ White. This is MSU Today.